Let's continue worship with a reading from 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to church. Morning. How's everyone doing? Yeah, gold stars for you. You came to church when it was raining. Well done. Uh, I'm Chris. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at Riverstone. I'm glad you're here. First, I just need to give a big shout out uh, to everyone who made Alpha a success this past weekend, our first Alpha. Uh, Thank you, thank you, thank you. Most of them are home because of training. So thank you if you're watching online. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. Some of you are here. Um, uh, Thank you for helping us get out the kinks logistically, making it smooth, making a super cool atmosphere where people can come and ask honest questions about Jesus and Christianity and work through their struggles with doubt and faith. Um, What we're attempting is no easy thing, a lot of moving parts. And I just got to say, the way that our team came together and make it work was awesome. It was amazing. We estimated we had around 60 to 70 people the first night um, of Alpha, which is awesome. So as a church, man, we're just... Uh, pressing into the idea that God is at work. Yeah. Uh, And that he has placed us here in 2023 in this community um, on our jobs, on these streets for a reason. I just want to press into that with you, y'all. Uh, I want to live on purpose. I don't know about you. I just want to live on purpose. I don't want to get to the end and realize I've just wasted my life on my own appetites and entertainment and triviality. So we're trying to create space for people to come and ask meaningful questions about Christianity. So I'm, I'm, I'm tired. There's a lot of work, uh, but it's good kind of tired. All right, so I just want to invite you into a good kind of tired um, to wear ourselves out to invite people in to make Jesus known. Um, uh, so number one, let me just remind you a few things about Alpha on Wednesday nights. Um, it is an open invite all summer, open invite all summer. So please, please, please continue praying and walking before God with an open heart and open mind as to who God might have you invite on Wednesday night and come with him on Wednesday night at seven o'clock. Um, you know, go, go to your neighbors and, and, and coworkers and say, hey, I'm going to go check this thing out. Why don't you come with me? I know that we've talked about Christianity before. Um, you don't have to stick around for the whole summer, but we're trying to uh, just work on our hospitality muscle um, as a group of friends. So number one, it's open invite, so invite people. Um, Alpha is aimed uh, at people who are not Christians. Um, so, man, I just want to just risk Invite, get out there, put yourself out there for the sake of Jesus. Um, Number two, we do have some areas um, of need in Alpha uh, that I just wanted to lay before you. Um, What are the areas? Here we go. Let's see. Oh, if you are super talented at baking and making things that are delicious and would be willing to drop it off on a Wednesday night, we need help with desserts. We serve everyone dessert. Um, And number two, so there's signups in the cafe. And number two, um, we need help watching kids. And most of the kids at Alpha are actually people that go to our church. But if either of those things, if you could help on any kind of basis in those areas, you can sign up in the cafe, and that would be amazing. Okay, so let's get after it. Uh, We are in a conversation. That was just Alpha talk. Now let's go. Uh, We're in a conversation about the Holy Spirit, y'all. Empowered is what we're calling it, right? Um, and, And we've just acknowledged that almost no one comes to this conversation with an empty slate. Like, no one. 
All right, no one. Like when I say, let's talk about the Holy Spirit, you know, or I don't know, spiritual reality or anything like that, uh, the unseen world, you know, <laughs> um, everyone's mind just went somewhere. Your mind just went somewhere. When I said, let's talk about the Holy Spirit or spiritual reality or the unseen world, whether it was like some horror movie, you right? With some like crazy supernatural stuff or someone's head was spinning around, spinning out green stuff or something like that, you know? Uh, you're thinking, awesome, great, let's talk about that. No. Or maybe you thought, when I said we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, you thought of that movie with the tent revival. Remember in the pastor that was sweaty like I am right now? Right? And yelling and people were shaking and acting crazy and the pastor and the bouncers created a fake miracle. Remember that movie? You know, and throw them out and everyone's all frothed up and you're like, that's utterly repulsive to me. I don't want to talk about that. Or maybe... You're more neutral when it comes to the Holy Spirit, right? Maybe you've um, just seen memes of people dancing in suits, you know, seen those? <laughs> and you're like, weird, good for them, I guess. Uh, but I, my point is, I would just be really surprised if anyone in this room uh, comes to this conversation with a clean slate. You have some association when we say the word Holy Spirit. Um, and some of us are like, oh man, I'm, we're all in. And if that's you, your society thinks you're a weirdo, okay? Just point. But the point is, almost no one comes to it with a blank slate. And one of the main things I'm trying to do for us is show how much of our associations, much of our thinking about the Holy Spirit and the supernatural in general is really based on hearsay. It really is. Right? It's hearsay, or it's maybe a movie you saw, or the accepted 21st century worldview that says um, the supernatural doesn't happen. Most of our thinking about this has been handed to us by something, whether it's a movie or just a cultural sentiment, that there is no spiritual reality. And the only real thing in the world is the physical, right? Um, but what I'm trying to tell you about this specific conversation about the Holy Spirit and about the supernatural is you have a pair of glasses on your face. You guys with me? You got a pair of glasses on. And that pair of glasses has been handed to you by your society and the age in which you live. And it colors how you interpret the scriptures. It colors how you think about the supernatural. I mean, every claim in scripture, you can't help but to see them through those glasses that your society has given you. That primarily says there is no supernatural. There is no miracles. Those things don't happen. That's antiquated stuff and it doesn't happen anymore. And I'm trying to make us ask the question, what, what does the Bible actually say? Like, it's almost impossible. Let me just be real with you guys. It's almost impossible for you to take off those glasses and read the Bible on its own right. You just can't help but interpret it through the age in which you live and the way in which our society thinks about things. So what we're asking is, what is, what is the picture that the Bible paints about how God's people interacts with God's spirit. That's what we're getting after. How does God's people interact with God's spirit? We're calling it empowered. Okay, well, empowered by who? And for what? And what does the Bible seem to think that looks like for people who follow Jesus, right? So today's pretty simple, and yet maybe not that simple. The question is simple. The answer, not so simple. Um, the question we're wrestling with today is what does the Holy Spirit do? What does the Holy Spirit do? What does he do? Sometimes um, in the Bible, when you ask a question like this, it's really, really helpful sometimes to look at the first time that idea or title or person appears in the biblical story. Not all the times, but sometimes this helps. If we ask a question, what does this idea in the Bible mean? If you look at the first time it comes up, sometimes it kind of paints a silhouette for you. Oh, this is what that character does. Like a snake in the garden. 
Okay, that character lies and cheats. Interesting, you know? It, it paints a picture. So the phrase, Holy Spirit, uh, really takes root as a kind of title um, in the New Testament. You don't see the phrase Holy Spirit very often in the Old Testament. And that might tempt us to think um, that, well, I guess the Holy Spirit showed up after Jesus and really wasn't active before Jesus. Many people read the Bible this way. It's just true. Um, now, what's clear from the prophecies in Joel is yes. There's something about the presence of the Holy Spirit in the people of God that is opened up, that is peeled back in Jesus. Like we said last week, God has been passing notes under the door to his people through the moral law, through natural beauty and all these things. And in and, and Pentecost, and we know exactly that Joel 2 is referring to Pentecost because that's what Peter says it is in this sermon. He says, hey, y'all, this is about this. And we know that it prophesies that there's going to be an opening of some sort, a pouring out, an, an, an increase in measure. And the prophecy in Joel 2 talks about the young and the old and the slave and the free. And there's this new liberality to who God gives his spirit to in the New Testament. That's true. But is that the first time the Holy Spirit comes on the scene? Okay. When, now if you know it, don't say it because you'll ruin it for everyone. Okay, now. Uh, when is the first time you think the Holy Spirit shows up and does something? Don't say it. Is it maybe Exodus, burning bush? Maybe it's Samson, Judges 14. Remember the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon him. It's aggressive, right? And he rips a lion to pieces. You guys ever read the Bible? <laughs> the Bible the Bible's insane, dude. Spirit of the Lord rushes on this dude and he rips a lion to pieces with his bare hands. Crazy, all right? Oh, maybe it's David. Remember David? Spirit of the Lord comes on him. In fact, it says it powerfully came on him in 1 Samuel. When's the first time the Spirit of God shows up in the narrative of the Bible? It is actually the very first page of the Bible. In fact, it is the third sentence of the Bible. That's when the Holy Spirit shows up, and what is he doing? I don't know. Let's, well, let's just read it. We're at church. Doggone it. Let's read the Bible together, all right? Genesis 1. In the beginning... Y'all need to get more rowdy with me, all right? Y'all need to meet my level of enthusiasm, all right? Thank you. Thank you. All right. Just saying. All right. Genesis 1, let's read it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Third sentence of the Bible. Here we go. And the Spirit of God, the Ruach Elohim, the breath, the wind of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. What is the Spirit doing? He's creating. The Spirit seems to be the active arm of God in the earth. God speaks, the Spirit acts. God thinks, the Spirit achieves. The Spirit of God is the active presence that goes out and brings his word about this is what the Spirit of God is. In Genesis 6, we're told it's the Spirit of God that is sustaining the human clay creatures and that the Spirit of God, the Ruach of God, will not abide with man forever for he's flesh. You guys remember that passage? So from page one, the Holy Spirit is the, these are, these are, these are important words, please stay with me, the active agency of God in the earth. That's who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is creating. The Holy Spirit is sustaining. Kind of like wind is this unseen force. You guys know wind? Anyone? You ever seen the wind? No. Actually, you've never seen the wind. 
No, you haven't. You've seen the consequences of the wind. You've seen the trees moving, right? So the Spirit of God is kind of like a wind. And while we can't see him, he does stuff. He moves stuff like real physical things, like men and women's bodies. He does things. This is what the Spirit of God does. It is the activity of God in the earth. That's what the Bible creates. That's the picture it creates. Another interesting point is um, even those, this is fascinating if you just track it through Scripture, even those outside of the Hebrew ethnicity, okay, could identify when God's Spirit was working through his people. In Genesis 41, the, so in other words, <laughs> The Spirit of God, when the Spirit of God comes on someone, it isn't like we have this club where we all know the cues. And the cues are you speak in tongues and you shake and you raise your hands. That's not the picture that we get. So you guys know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about learned behavior that we try to convince other people that I got the Spirit of God, right? And it becomes this language inside of a bubble where everyone in the bubble is like, oh, he's got it. Oh, he's got it. That's not what we see in Scripture. The, the, what we see, so is these Egyptians, these outsiders who don't know the language, aren't on the in club, all right? These outsiders look at Joseph and they say, the Egyptians say of Joseph, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? The Ruach Elohim? Literally, the wind of God, the breath of God. So God's Spirit is his active agency in the world. And when he acts... When man yields to his spirit, other people don't need to be told. They can see it. And it's not just insider language. There's something else going on in Joseph. When the spirit of God is alive in you, there is a physical, practical apparentness to it. <laughs> something is happening in you, right? It's not just learned. So in Joseph's case, it was number one, if you remember the story, his supernatural ability to understand and reveal the meaning of dreams. That was the first thing. And the number two, it was his savvy wisdom in business. That's how they knew. This guy's got the Ruach Elohim. This guy's got the breath of God. It was his ability to plan for the future. <laughs> it was his commitment to excellence in his work ethic. Y'all, that was it. Those outside, if you remember the story, Egypt goes through, is about to go through a drought, and he says, we're going to do this, that, and this, and that. And they're like, this guy's got the spirit of the living God in him. And he saves the entire country, right? Those outside were drawn to this dude. Not because he was shaken on the ground, because he was excellent in business. Let's break out of the categories, folks. Let's break out of the religious expected things that we've put the Holy Spirit in and said, well, that's what it only looks like when the Holy Spirit... You know what's also fascinating? Let's just keep pushing with the Bible because the Bible does it on us, right? You know the first person in the Bible who is said to be filled with the Spirit? Now, I'll let you call it out. Does anyone know? Because I'll be impressed. Anyone know the first person in the Bible who is said to be filled? You don't know because it's a nobody. <laughs> His name is Bezalel. And it's in Exodus 35, 31. And guess what it says the purpose of the filling was? What for? What was he filled for? It's actually something that you would not classify as religious or spiritual at all. Exodus 35, 31 says this. We're going to read it. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill and intelligence 
and knowledge and with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs to work in gold and silver and bronze and cutting stones, yo, and cutting stones and in setting carving wood, right, in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach. Fascinating. The first person in the Bible who is said to be filled with the Spirit of God is filled for the purpose of excellence in work. Do you see your work life as significance? Do you see how you approach your work life as important in the kingdom of God? Or is that the part that you just have to do so that you can do other stuff? In these both instances, it is these men's ability and wisdom and ethic and their their push at work that people would say, what is about this guy or girl? We're fair around here, right? What is about this person who is pushing so hard and their excellence and their work ethic is so inspiring that when they talk, I want to listen. Dude, Spirit of God. It's fascinating, the Bible, all right? It's relevant to our discussion because people like to come up with categories about, well, how do you know if you're filled with the Spirit, right? And I think it looks more practical than we, than we think sometimes. I think it looks more practical than we think. Maybe we're dealing with a, maybe we're dealing with a living being in the Holy Spirit instead of a formula. Huh? Maybe we're dealing with a living being instead of a formula. A living being who has plans for us that are surprising and don't always fit within the predetermined religious categories that we've established. Maybe God wants to fill you with his spirit so you can kick butt in business and be a clear reflection of God's abundant generosity by giving away as much money as you can. And while you're at it, rebelling against the spirit of the age by being generous with your money. What if that's why God wants to fill you, man? Right? God is a living being, y'all. Man, he's good. Yes. He's trustworthy. He is faithful. But he is not subject to our formulas. He will not fit, y'all, within the predetermined categories that we like to contrive. He's not obliged to uphold your categories that often I think about are more about us affirming ourselves rather than glorifying God. It seems to be in Scripture that there is no one-size-fits-all gift or sign that proves you're full of the Spirit. You cannot say biblically every time someone is filled with the Spirit, they speak in tongues. You can't. First of all, all the instances we just pointed out in the Old Testament, did you hear anything about that? No. Second, there's plenty of instances in Acts where it says they are filled with the Holy Spirit and do not mention tongues at all. Acts 13.52 is one example among many others. The first time Paul is filled with the Spirit in Acts 9, it says nothing about tongues. In fact, you know what it says? It says scales fell from his eyes. I think that should be the sign. I do. Do scales fall from your eyes? Because they fell from mine, right? We do this. It's just not biblical. You can't do it. And to seal the deal... Let me prove it to you, because I know we all come from different backgrounds. 1 Corinthians 12, 30. Paul is, trying, is using um, a body as a metaphor for the church. You know that one? And he's trying to explain the diversity of the body. And he asks emphatically, do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? He's saying, no. No, of course not, right? And this is why, in a little side note for you, there are some things classified as gifts of the Spirit and other things classified as fruits of the Spirit. This is an important distinction. 
See, the gifts of the Spirit is God giving special capacities for the building up of others. Ooh, that's a really important sentence. The gifts of the Spirit are God giving you capacities for the building up of others. They are not for their own sake. They're not so you can feel more spiritual than other people. They are so that you can edify and build up other people's. We'll come back to that. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, it shows up every time he's around, just like a healthy tree. An apple tree is 100% definitely an apple tree when you take an apple off and take a pickle, pull a jump out of it, right? Oh, that's an apple tree. If anything, it's the fruit of the Spirit that's the proof, if you could call it that, that you're filled with the Spirit. And what are those? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the ability to say no to yourself. You want to know if you're filled with the Spirit? You want to discern if other people are legit? That seems to be like what we really want to know. Like, are they, you know? What about, what about you? That's what I mean. If you want to know... If you're full of the Spirit, here it is. It's the fruit, y'all. Do you genuinely love and serve others selflessly? Are you full of goodness or are you full of something else? Right? Do you? Oh, you like that, Mary. Thank you. Thank you. Do you actually do what you say? Are you faithful? Are you gentle with other people or are you harsh and condemning? And also, y'all, the idea of fruit implies process. Process. It grows. It doesn't just magically appear. It takes time. And even our own cultivation and effort, y'all, it's much more practical than we think. It's almost, I think to some of us, it's off-putting. It's so practical. We think, well, I can do that stuff. I can be selfless and I can be patient. Well, can you? <laughs> You must not have young kids, right? Like, you're telling me you're full of goodness? Like, that goodness is the thing that bubbles out of you when you're shaken? That's what you're saying? You're saying you're overflowing, like, just of, with joy and genuine selflessness? You're saying that you esteem other people better than you? I'm not saying you're not. I'm just saying the question deserves more scrutiny than we think. Deserves a little bit more probing than I think we'd like. And to be honest, it's much easier to say to be full of the Spirit means you jump up and down on one hour on a Sunday morning. You can fake that a lot easier than you can fake loving humanity. You can fake that a lot easier than you can fake being selfless. You can smell selflessness. You see it when it's in action, y'all. Loving humanity is no small thing. If you're married, you know what I'm talking about. Amen. It's no small thing to supernaturally, faithfully, consistently love someone and selflessly give yourself to them, right? So the New Testament has a lot more to say about what God's spirit does. He bears fruit. We read that, right? And we get to partake of that fruit as if it's our own. He gives gifts. We'll come back to that, all right? We'll come back to that later. But Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit too, you know? He had a lot to say, actually, about what the Holy Spirit does and who he is. So let's read some. John 16, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare it to you. He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine 
and declare it to you. All the Father has is mine. That's the, that's the big claim for Jesus to say. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So I'm just going to be honest with you. You can meditate on that passage for months and get all sorts of things about the claims that Jesus is saying for himself, the claims that Jesus is saying for the Father, the claims that Jesus is saying for the Holy Spirit. That is just pregnant with meaning and implications, right? But let's just zoom in on the last two sentences, right? Here's one thing the Spirit does according to Jesus. He glorifies Jesus by, how does he do that? How does he glorify the Son of God? By taking what belongs to Jesus and declaring it to you. He says, God's Spirit takes what is mine and declares it to you. NIV says, makes it known to you. KJV says, shows it to you. In other words, the Holy Spirit manifests these things to you. He, he, what, what is, what, what does that mean? Declares it. What is, what happens? So let's just say, I'm angry with my kids. Now, some of you, the way, or let's just do spouse. That's better. Um, some of you, the way that you communicate that is by slamming a door. <laughs> That's how you manifest. <laughs> That's how you show it, right? Others of you, you act, it's a crazy idea, you actually talk about it with them. <laughs> bizarre. I know it's bizarre just to say that, right? Some of you are just passive-aggressive to the bone, right? And then there's another way you could talk. You could, another way you could address that. You could actually address it. <laughs> you could actually talk about it. What is that? What's happening? What's happening there? You are taking an unseen reality of your psyche. Is that anger any less real when that's not been declared to that person? No. It's still there. It's just not made evident to them. And the way you make it evident is your choice. All right? Play your cards how you want. All right? But the point is, there's an unseen reality that's hovering spiritually somewhere in your being, all right? And when you declare it, what have you done? You've made it real to them. You've shown them, I'm angry, all right? Smashing their hand down, whatever. Okay, it's taking the unseen and it's making it real. You see? The Holy Spirit takes what Jesus has done on the cross and he makes it real to you, like the seat that you're sitting in. See, for most of us, the work of Jesus is this ambient, ethereal, la-la land magic about, well, he loves me, I guess, and he forgives me. And the Holy Spirit takes what Jesus has done on the cross and he makes it more real than the ground you're standing on. Can we relate to this where the love of God seems the most distant thing from our existence? The forgiveness of Jesus is nowhere on the scene. You know how we know that? Because we're bitter and we're unforgiving to those around us. And when that's the reality, you have to get to push it across. To have you considered inviting the Holy Spirit in your life to make real the work of the gospel in you? See, what happens when we receive the Holy Spirit is the grace of Jesus becomes more than an idea. Guys, are we, are we tracking? Like, this is huge. How many of us read the words on the page and they just dribble off the side of the Bible when it says God loves you, he's forgiven you, he's transformed you, you've been made new in him. And we say, well, I don't know. Doesn't seem that way to me, right? The role, 
The thing the Holy Spirit does is he makes it real to you. He declares it. He activates it. Just like, stay with me, the Holy Spirit was brooding over the waters and breathed into dead clay. And what happens? The clay comes to life. Y'all, church, worship, the Bible, prayer is a lump of clay. And until the Holy Spirit breathes in it, it will be dead to you. It won't have any impact. It will be an inanimate lump of clay. And about the relevance of that in your life is how, it come, how Christianity comes to many of us. Is, can you use it? Is it useful? No, it's like a lump of clay on the ground. A lot of people get excited about it. A lot of people talk about it like it really matters. I don't get it. Can I just slide it across the table? Take a breath for a second. Say, brother, sister, it is not that you are not smart enough. You're plenty smart. <laughs> if you can lay blame on anyone, just lay it on me. I don't know what I'm doing up here, right? It's not, my sermons are horrible. To, you can't understand them. Maybe you just blame that. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's that we don't do church right. I don't know. Dude, it's not a, it's none of those things. <laughs> I just want to say, invite the Holy Spirit to make real to you the grace of Jesus. See, all I'm trying to do, y'all, is chip away at all of the hesitations and suspicions that all of us have lingering in our bowels about the Holy Spirit. We think it's the weirdos do that kind of stuff. I'm telling you, you can't be a person of the book if you're not a person full of the Spirit. It's just over and over and over again. The Holy Spirit, this is the distinction that many Christians make when we say you have head knowledge but not heart knowledge. You guys know what I'm talking about? Jesus has claims that he has done. Jesus has things, possessions, that he wants to make real to you, that you may be able to understand intellectually. Shoot, you may be able to give a sermon about it, right? You can explain it to people, and you're kind of proud of yourself for being able to explain those things to people, but it's not real to you. It doesn't function. It's like a tool in the garage, right? Like you have it, but you don't know what that thing does. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing you've ever seen. It's hanging on the wall. This is a Martin Lloyd-Jones quote I'm going to read to you, and I'm going to put it on the screen because it's a really good quote. What the Holy Spirit does is make real to us the things which we have believed by faith, but the things which we have had but a kind of indirect certainty only. See? The Holy Spirit makes these things immediately real. So you can be a Christian for a while. I'm not saying you're not a Christian, right? You can have salvation, but it can lose its impact, can't it? It can have no real significance, no real meaning, no real power. It's not substantial. It's thin, you see? Many of us think Christianity is thin. We think salvation is thin. You can see through it, right? It's not very substantial in your life. It doesn't seem real, right? The love of God, the forgiveness of Jesus. You could say it this way. He breathes into it like he breathed into the clay, right? It's what David was getting at, y'all, when he says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. He had it. There was just no joy in it. And he connects that with the Holy Spirit because right around that, he says, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy. He was, he was saved. He was a good Christian. There was just no joy. There was no lightness of heart. There was no graciousness, no rejoicing, no delights. He had lost the ability, and he cries out to who? The Holy Spirit. 
Restore to me the joy. Jesus seems to think it's the Holy Spirit that manifests his work, his life, his power to us, makes it immediately real. So what belongs to Jesus? We'll just end with this. What belongs to Jesus? What does he have? What's his that's given to us? What did he get? What did Jesus get that the Holy Spirit reveals to you, that shows you, that so that you get to enjoy it? Well, so there's a ton. There's a ton of stuff that we could talk about. I mean, you could do a whole series on this idea. It took one, it would go for like months what Jesus got and gives to us. But here's one idea, one phrase that I think sums it all up and what he wants to give you, maybe even today. And it's this, the favor of the Father. That's what Jesus got. And he, and he earned it, y'all. Like, he did it all the way. See, we, we spend our entire life trying to prove we're worthy, worthy of attention, worthy of respect, that we're valuable, that we're somebody. But what we really want is to prove that we're worthy of favor, that the universe has smiled on us, that we're lovable, right? So we'll use things like physical beauty, like work ethic, intellectual knowledge, success in business, success as a mom, whatever. I'm stronger than you. I'm smarter than you. I'm richer than the next guy to prove to everyone else and God that we have favor in life, that the universe, right, smiled on us, right? And I think our pursuit is so desperate because we're staving off this deep, uncomfortable conviction that we are not in favor, that we are actually disqualified, that there's flaws, deep flaws about us. And so we're desperate in this pursuit because we're fighting against this idea that we're not valuable, right? I think intuitively we know, but the, the, the desperation with which we want favor and which we want love because we, we know we don't deserve it. So there's this desperation in all of us to try to earn favor and love and affections. And the Bible would say, man, yes, that's true. And yes, you are flawed and you have failed in profound ways. But there is a man who wasn't. There is a man who didn't fail, a man who consistently did all the things that we really want to do in life. He was consistently faithful when we fail to be. He was consistently loving, consistently patient. He, this guy, was overflowing in goodness. He was full of goodness to the max. It flowed out of him. And he is the only rightful one who deserves the favor of the Father. This is the story of the Bible. And God gave him death that we deserve so that we could get the favor that he deserved. God gives us the favor of, of the Father in Jesus. And this is the thing for us, and this is what the scripture is getting at when it says, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, so let's just look at the scripture. Go ahead, guys, look at it. Read, just read that scripture in your heart, okay? For our sake he made him to be sin. Everyone with me? Who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay? Interesting. So for some of us, that reality lifts your heart out of death like a phoenix rises from the ashes. And for some of you, it's dead on the page. Or dead on the screen. And there, that, perhaps is the thing we need to wrestle with when discerning your relationship to the Holy Spirit. You see? If this seems dead to you, if this seems powerless and impotent and doesn't have any relevance in your life, I want to plead with you to invite the Holy Spirit in, to soften your heart to the work of the Holy Spirit, right? Because he makes this a reality. He makes this a fire that rages in your soul. 
and it burns away all the sin and the doubt, and it softens the hardened clay, and it brings nutrients to the soil. Y'all, it's the Holy Spirit who blows life into the dead doctrine. He blows life into the, in the scriptures that just don't seem alive to us and sets our hearts aflame with the love of God. That's actually what the Holy Spirit does. He pours the love of God out in our hearts. So it is real to us. It has impact. It becomes substantial. And in fact, it's so substantial that some people have decided to build their entire life on it. It is so dense and strong that people have said, nothing else can sustain my existence. And they've given their entire life to the gospel. Tracking? This is what the Holy Spirit does, man. So maybe you're here today, and your whole life, the Holy Spirit has been the weird uncle of the church, and you're embarrassed when he comes around, and you try to avoid him at family reunions, right? And you've avoided him because you think, well, I have no interest in being some sort of frothy experiential seeker. Okay, I hear you. But is the truth of Scripture alive to you? Is it immediately real? Does it actually do anything in your life? And if the answer is no, I want to give you the opportunity to ask the Holy Spirit to come into your life. And maybe today for the first time, maybe you're willing right now to do something that you've been not willing to do because you've always been distracted by the tongues or the fire or the wind and all the weird things. I just want to tell you guys, the story is so much more robust than that. And God longs to make real to you what Christ has done on the cross by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to come to the table first. Um, so real quick, there's something else uh, the New Testament calls the Holy Spirit three times, uh, twice in Corinthians, once in Ephesians, and it calls the Holy Spirit a deposit, a deposit, a down payment, a first installment of what? Uh, of what is coming for every believer. What is coming for every believer? Well, just imagine our world as it is right now, all creation, all the universe, all nature, mountains, rivers, all the peoples of the earth, washed clean of the possibility of evil. No more violence, no more exploitation, no more abuse, no more war, no more hatred. All of that completely defeated and conquered, vanquished from the earth. That's heaven, as is described in the Bible. God says the Holy Spirit is a first installment of heaven that you get right now inside your heart and soul. Who doesn't want that, man? Who doesn't want that? So let's just pray, Holy Spirit, would you come? And would you fill us with a slice of heaven, God, that where it feels like we are walking in hell, would you introduce heaven to us, Jesus? Holy Spirit, come and lift us up out of the ashes and speak life into our bodies like you spoke life in Genesis. And you brought the lump of clay um, to an animate object, something alive. Would you breathe life into our faith, Jesus? God, would you breathe life into our bodies? as we just stand here before you. So here's what we're gonna do as we've been doing. We're gonna leave this room as a place for you to ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Man, there's, we're not gonna do anything weird to you, right? No, but we're just gonna leave this room for you to seek God and say, Lord, it feels like I'm walking in hell and I need some heaven. It feels like uh, the landscape is desert and I need some garden. It's another image of heaven, it's garden, abundance. God, I'm walking and languishing and I need some flourishing. Let's ask, Holy Spirit, would you fill us, God?